0: Welcome to Axis, Utah, I'm Tom Williams. War is not an abstraction. and The wounds of war don't stop at the warrior. They reverberate through families and communities. When does war end? For veterans and their families and loved ones, the answer is complex. Between War and Here is a new collaboration between journalists and musicians, exploring honor, courage, loss, and hope with music, poetry, and memoir. This theater piece, which premieres in Salt Lake City on November 4th, um, it features NPR's Neil Conan and Ann Garrels, who have covered wars and conflicts around the world, have been in the middle of firefights, seen war, lived it, been changed by it. Between War and here also features Carolyn Surick from Ensemble Gallaudet. Uh She spent seven years of Fridays playing for wounded warriors and their families at Walter Reed National Military Medical Center. And uh, we're going to talk about these themes on the program today. Welcome in uh, Ann Garrels, who... Uh, for almost 25 years, was senior foreign correspondent for NPR, reported from many different areas. She arrived in Baghdad, you recall, six months before the 2003 U.S. invasion, stayed during the U.S. bombing campaign to t- continue to cover rock for the next six years. Uh, she's been honored, honored with uh, numerous journalism awards, including Peabody and the Polk. She's on the board of Oxfam America and a committee to protect journalists. Her books include uh, Putin Country, a, journal in, a Journey into Real Russia, and Naked in Baghdad. And girls, welcome to the program. Oh, we're just, we're, uh, we're getting out on the phone right now. Okay. <laughs> Let me welcome in Neil Conan, who's worked as a correspondent uh, based all over uh, the, the uh, world, uh, 36 years with National Public Radio, executive producer for All Things Considered, uh, maybe best known as longtime host of Talk of the Nation, currently a host and a producer of Truth, Politics, and Power. And, Neil Conan, I understand we're reaching you in uh, Hawaii.
1: Good morning, yes.
0: Uh, so you, uh, I guess after Talk of the Nation, retiring from NPR, you uh, you, you chose uh, the Big Island, is it?
1: It is the Big Island, a charming little town called Havi.
0: Okay. And uh, on Hawaii Public Radio, your bio, you're, you're described as a macadamia farmer.
1: Yes, indeed. Yeah. But I also uh, do a, a, a series for them called the Pacific News Minute three times a week.
0: Okay. Um, and we welcome in Carolyn Surick, uh, who lives outside Annapolis, Maryland. Um, and uh, she has been playing with Ensemble Galilee for more than t- 20 years. In that time, the group's recorded 11 CDs, performed for tens of thousands of people, almost every state in the country, Canada and Mexico. It's an outreach to schools and thousands of students. Um, has an, a book of poetry out called Between War and Here. And the latest from Ensemble Galilee is called The Flowers of the Forest. Uh, Carolyn Surick, welcome to the program.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Uh, so let me start with you, uh, Carolyn Surik. Um, this I've been reading the beautiful poems here, and uh, Flowers of the Forest is also a result of this. You and I got a couple of other members uh, joined you, uh, spent uh, seven years, apparently, Fridays at Walter Reed Medical Center. Tell us how that started.
2: Well, it's funny, you know, I think that one of the theories of life is that you do what you can. And we lived not very far from Walter Reed, and so I decided in 2008 that it'd be nice to go and sort of give back. And I called over, and it's actually, like many other bureaucracies, it was hard to get to the person who could say yes, but I finally found someone, uh, a member of the clergy, and he put me in touch with Peter Anderson, who was the executive director of Malone House. And Malone House is sort of a—it's like a very nice hotel, but everyone there has been blown up or has been injured, or it's also a place where the families can stay of wounded warriors. So I set myself up in the corner on a Friday afternoon by myself and started to play the viola da gamba, and I felt a little awkward, but I was like, okay, I'm, I'm here, I'm going to do this. I played for a while, and then this young man came up, and we started chatting, and uh, his uh, leg had been blown off, and, and he was in a wheelchair, and, and we had just a, an incredible, wonderful conversation, and then I, I played some music just for him, and then I gave him a viola to gamba lesson, and, and, uh, and as he was leaving to go have lunch, he sort of turned back, and he said, "Ma'am, this was a once-in-a-lifetime experience, and I thought, Wow. Well, it was just a, a very small amount of energy and time out of my life, and it made someone else's life better, who had given so much to our country. And so I called my friends Ginger and Sue Richards, and uh, I said, you know, come on, you guys, let's go. <laughs> and because they're they're game for anything, we started going every Friday afternoon, and uh, and. It was really an extraordinary experience in which, like many of those things, where you start to do something that you think is going to be for someone else and that's going to make the world a better place, and then you end up realizing that the gift was really given to you. I was
0: going going to ask you uh, how this has changed you, what it's done for you.
2: Oh, well, that's even an impossible question to answer because I had, n- You know, I grew up in the 70s in a kind of anti-war family and had never really had relationships with people in the military. And uh, so this was my first sort of foray into the military world, and I it completely changed my life. I mean, in that um, I have a, a really different vision. Well, and actually there are a number of other things. We live in Annapolis and we sponsor midshipmen at, from the Naval Academy, so... But it really was an extraordinary opportunity to, um, to be part of the healing process for a, a lot of men and women. And we ended up making a CD for them because they couldn't... A lot of the guys who are uh, post-traumatic stress guys have trouble sleeping. And uh, so we made a CD, got everything donated, and, um, and handed it out. We gave away 6,000 CDs, and, and these CDs really made a difference in people's lives and I mean the guys and gals would have them in their truck and in their bedroom and and so whenever they would start to find themselves in a situation that would be uh creating anxiety they would just put it on and calm down or they I mean one guy came up to me and he was like I slept for 4 hours last night I mean and these are people who have trouble sleeping for 1 hour so um, there's hardly anything in the li- in life that's more rewarding than the time that we spent there with Wounded Warriors.
0: Hmm. understand we do have and Girls on now, uh, and I apologize for that. We have you on? Yes, you do. Okay. All right. Good. To, good to have you with us. Um, let me turn to Neil Conan next. On uh, You have a, a quote on the uh, book jacket here on Carolyn Surick's uh, beautiful uh, volume of poetry between war and here. And you talk about uh, how this poetry, this experience, gives us glimpses into the lives of the few. You've capitalized that, the few. What are you talking about here?
1: Well, it is uh, the few of us who have uh, served in Iraq or Afghanistan. It's a, a very small portion of the country. Uh, it's a, obviously they're all volunteers, uh, and they're people who have performed extraordinary service to their country. Whatever you may think of uh, the uh, the politics behind the mission, or the strategy behind the mission, or uh, you know what, what has ensued from what they uh, they did, but the uh, uh, the character of these people and their courage and their resilience uh, that can't be denied. And there are few of them. Uh, it is unusual that um, in this day and age, uh, we know somebody who's in Afghanistan or Iraq, or now in Syria as well as that part of the world. So it's, uh, it's important to point out that this is a, a very small percentage of our population who has done extraordinary service on behalf of all of us.
0: And girls, you've, uh, I'm, I'm, you know, I know you've interacted with many, many <laughs> warriors, including wounded warriors. Um, what has that interaction done uh, to you, do you think?
3: Extraordinary about this is, as Neil says, this is not a celebration of war. It is a celebration of courage and determination. I had no idea what I was getting into when Neil and then Carolyn got in touch with me about the project. But it is the most, one of the most rewarding things I've ever done. Uh, it, it, in a way, it sort of helps me, you know, after. Eight years in Iraq, sort of come full circle, um, and and pay tribute to you know a lot of the people who I was embedded with. I was unembedded and embedded, but uh, I mean they they were
0: remarkable. Um, th- and this uh, you say you were embedded and and also unembedded, but uh, spending that much time with these with these people um i guess has to give you appreciation for for what they face you're facing some of the same things but not at the same level
3: yes but the difference is that you know a um uh, i mean i can say no if something's too dangerous mm. they can't uh and, I mean, I, I, I write an essay in the, in the performance about the invasion of Fallujah, where I was with a, a Marine platoon um, who really did not want me with them. Um, at 55, I was definitely not a network babe. Uh, and if they had to have a journalist with me, they definitely um, they didn't know what NPR was. They didn't. Um, but they accepted me over time. And I was with them for, ooh, more than a month. And uh, it was an extraordinary experience. I mean, you do bond with these people. They, are defend- they were defending me. I was, if anything, a liability. They were afraid I wouldn't be able to keep up, which mm, was a justifiable concern. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was um, so... As I say, this this has certainly given me a chance to pay tribute to uh, to those who helped me tell the story.
0: Do you maybe starting with Anne girls and then Neil Conan? Do, do you Anne girls Do you have have you met a soldier and then followed them? Have, have you uh, have you followed up, uh, especially I guess the on, w- on wounded ones? Yeah, I was with yeah.
3: Well, actually, it's funny you should you should ask me that. I just uh, um uh. And A Marine Corps officer who I met briefly in Fallujah, uh, who's now a, a senior commander and on his way to retirement, uh, just got in touch with me um, and yes, I have been in touch with some of them and um, but he just recently got in touch with me he 's writing a book and asked me to to, uh, to look at it uh, and it was he 's written a remarkable book, I have to say. Um, I think I was able to sort of make a few comments, useful comments, but yes. And, and people from the past uh, do reach, you know, w- we're maybe not in constant contact all the time. But one of the, uh, one of the things I mention in the essay I, I do on the, is that um, I recorded a bunch of young Marines before we went into Fallujah, and two of them were killed uh, subsequently. And I sent the recordings of that last night before we went in to their families. Uh, I mean, it was the least I could do.
0: Hmm. Yeah, that must mean a lot to the families. Let me ask the qu- uh, same question to you, Neil Conan. Do you, um, you know, do you, have you followed up? Have you, you know, followed uh, soldiers?
1: Uh, I did not spend time in Iraq in this most recent conflict or in Afghanistan. I was on the radio on Talk of the Nation. Right. I do keep in touch with a couple of the naval officers I met in 1988 during uh, the Iran-Iraq War, and we were uh, uh, spent time uh, on their ships in the Persian Gulf. They're, they've all retired by this time.
0: Yeah. Let me turn back to Carolyn Surick. I wonder, um, uh, I believe you have your book with you. This is a beautiful book of poetry between war and here. I wonder if you'd uh, read us uh, from page 37. Um, sure. This is, a, I guess, a, a soldier called Irish, nicknamed Irish. <laughs> um, yeah. Maybe 37 and 38.
2: Yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, this is called Irish, and uh, this is a this was a, a wounded warrior who had been blown up. He'd been a driver of a truck and uh, had uh, had been at Walter Reed for many years um, and being treated and, and many, many surgeries. And uh, he was a real character. And he's, so this is the poem. He said, My mother's an angel. Laughing, I said, No woman is an angel. He said, No my mother is an angel. There were ten boys in my family. One was killed in action. Of the remaining nine, eight have purple hearts. Poem two. When his grandmother came over from Dublin, she got as many of his brothers together as she could. And when they were all sitting in the same room, she said to them, My boys, you make fine soldiers,
3: but you've got to learn to duck. <laughs>
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of, and, they're, and they're, This is the
3: wonderful thing about Carolyn's narrative is it's. I mean, there it 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 goes from, you know, searing, to, just to moments of humor. Uh, it, I I couldn't believe it when I read it. Hmm. Uh, when I was you know first asked to do this, I mean, it was a, for me when I saw the text, it was a no brainer.
1: <laughs>
0: uh, Neil Conan, this goes back to what you, you know, that capitalized the few. These are, these are few families who are carrying the load. In this particular family, ten boys in, in the family, all of them serving.
1: Indeed, and uh, this is a story that Carolyn tells that is not just tragedy. Certainly there's tragedy involved, uh, but it is a story of, of humor and humanity and redemption, and um, uh, it, it's just terrific stuff. Uh, I, I urge everybody to come out
0: and see it. Hmm. Uh, so, Carolyn Sirk, what's the? Uh, tell us a little bit about the theater piece you, you wrote. The poetry um, and the flowers in the forest of the forest. Ensemble Galilee's latest uh, CD is uh, on these themes. Uh, tell us a little bit about the theater production.
2: Well, you know, it, Ensemble Galilee has been unbelievably lucky to have done a number of performance pieces with Neil Conan. We started many, many years ago with a. Piece called a Universe of Dreams. Actually, we started with a Christmas show before that, uh, where we put music and stories and poetry together for Christmas for a solstice concert. And then we decided to add pictures, so we went to the Hubble Space Telescope and, and put together a Universe of Dreams with Hubble pictures and poems and stories about the universe. And then we went to the National Geographic and and all of the and did a show called First Person Stories from the Edge of the World using Iconic uh, National Geographic photographs and stories about exploration and discovery, and then we worked with the Metropolitan Museum of Art to create another show called First Person Seeing America. So, And in the process, which is this kind of beautiful, crazy process, we all sit together and Neil, and in this case, Neil and Anne, would read, and then we try out tunes. Um, there are five or six people in Ensemble Galilee at any given time. And among us there are thousands and thousands of tunes in our heads. And so exactly. they read and we try something out. And and sometimes it's incredibly counterintuitive and sometimes you think you have the piece of music that's gonna be just perfect for that piece of poetry and it doesn't fit and when it does work, everybody in the room knows it. I mean, there's just like no question about it. And so what you're really doing is you're finding a, a piece of music that it can marry well with the words, both in sort of in timbre and in melody and tempo and also, you know, the, the relationship between what has just been said and the next thing that you're going to hear musically is incredibly important. So you have to really feel like you, you have a, a, a complete emotional understanding of what's just been said, and then the music takes you from that moment to the next moment. And so we got together in January to, to get this process going with this project. And so we were able to decide what the music was going to be for, the, for between War and Here, and then go ahead and make a CD in February. And so it was was just this incredibly beautiful process. And and interestingly, the CD was going to be called Georgia Avenue um, because that's where Walter Reed had been. And when we finished editing, we realized that that was not the best title for the CD because it really was a little too dark and implied something that wasn't in the music, and we changed it to The Flowers of the Forest. And uh, because... Like Between War and Hair, which you would think if you're doing an entire evening about wounded warriors and their families, that it would be kind of dark and heavy. And honestly, it's really more about courage and resilience and people. Um, and that's sort of the way that the CD is, too. It was, really, it was really kind of a revelation that there was so much light in it all.
0: Hmm. Let's take a break when we come back I want to hear some music let's uh, we've got uh, the flowers of the forest uh, queued up and uh, we'll hear that uh, early in the uh, the next uh, segment uh, I want to uh, let listeners know that between war and here the theater production is uh, coming to Salt Lake City. And you can go uh, and experience this uh, November 4th at the Janae Wagner Theater in downtown Salt Lake City. Tickets at arctics.org. This features uh, Carolyn Surek uh, and include all of uh, Ensemble Galilee, also NPR's Neil Conan and, and Girls. And we have Carolyn Surek and Girls and Neil Conan with us uh, for the hour. Our thanks to them. You can uh, get your question or comment through by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, upraxcess at gmail.com. More following this break.
2: Okay.
1: We have a lot to be thankful for in Utah. Beautiful mountains, amazing waterways, and some of the most beautiful national parks in the world. On many of these wonderful public lands, we can be thankful for infrastructure like roads and trails that were originally constructed over 75 years ago by the Civilian Conservation Corps, or the CCC. Created in 1933 by President Franklin D. Roosevelt, the CCC had 116 camps that existed at one time or another in 27 of Utah's 29 counties. In all, there were 22,074 Utah men who were provided employment by the CCC during the nine-year period. Big thanks to Utah historian Ken Baldridge for his work documenting the CCC's service in Utah. This conservation conversation was brought to you by the Utah Conservation Corps, an AmeriCorps program based at Utah State University with a mission to develop the conservation leaders of tomorrow through service and education. Find out more at usu.edu backslash UCC. The Democratic Party is at a crossroads. Your point of view has destroyed the party.
0: Let's not forget Stacey Abrams,
1: who could make history. Progressives want to swing left, but some moderates worry that could leave Democrats in the wilderness. Whatever you think of these ideas, they don't win elections. I'm John Donvan. On the next Intelligence Squared U.S. debate, will progressive populism save the Democratic Party?
3: Saturday afternoon at 3 on Utah Public Radio.
0: Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. A, a new theater production is uh, going to be making its way around the country. Um, we'll coming to Salt Lake City. It's called, be- it's called Between War and Here, and it features Ensemble Galilee, along with uh, NPR correspondents uh, Ann girls and Neil Conan. Um, that will be in Salt Lake City November 4th at the Janae Wagner Theater and uh, tickets at Artix.org. That's arctics.org. Um, let me turn, uh, in the, to begin this segment, to uh, Carolyn Zurich. Um, the music on this CD, the latest from Ensemble Galilee, uh, treats warriors, especially, uh, you know, the wounded and the lost. Uh, tell us about the, uh, the opening track, The Flowers of the Forest.
2: It's so funny, because I had no idea about the history of this particular piece of music at all until I started writing the liner notes. And I looked it up, and there it is. It's about this battle, the Battle of Flodden or Culloden, depending on how, where you read it or how you say it. Uh, and it was a battle in which, reportedly, or 10,000 Scottish soldiers were killed by the English in 1513 on September 9th, which is remarkably close to September 11th. But it's this really beautiful, haunting tune and, uh, and so when we first arrived at this as sort of being an important part of the show, I had no idea that it was really about a battle. And uh, it was quite, I think, wow, how perfect is that?
0: Well, let's hear uh, at least a portion of this. So this is Ensemble Galilee uh, performing uh, The Flowers of the Forest. <laughs> Beautiful. That is The Flowers of the Forest. That's the title track to the latest uh, CD from Ensemble Uh, Galilei. Carolyn Surik, this is, uh, as you say, you weren't aware that this was, I guess, uh, about the battle. This is, uh, the battle was September 9th, 1513. Some 10,000 Scottish soldiers died that day.
2: Yes, it's quite extraordinary.
0: I want to turn uh, to Ann Gerald's, ask a similar question of uh, Neil Conan as well. Ann Gerald's, the the front of the materials here for Between War and Here, um, war is not an abstraction. But I think for, you know, maybe the average person, (laughs) maybe war is kind of an abstraction. What would you say to the average citizen? What don't we know about war? What would you have us know about war?
3: I mean, it's so true um, for most because there's no longer a national draft, um, and a lot of people don't know anyone in the military, uh, and they're allowed to sort of ignore uh, the costs uh, of war very easily. And I just want to say I mean, that the performance, you've just heard this extraordinary music. It started with Carolyn Playing alone, I mean playing the viola da gamba for a bunch of wounded vets now viola da gamba is an ancient form of cello there she is alone it's an inauspicious beginning, you'd think, but people were drawn to her, and then she enlisted another of the members uh, another member of Ensemble Galilee to join her because it the the vets responded and she would teach them how to draw the bow. And you hear, I mean, she would kill me for saying this, but it is a little bit about her journey uh, there, too, about the vets, but also her interaction with them and their response to music. And what you, it's quite powerful. (laughs) Um, And, you know, it, and that it worked, and that hmm. it's evolved into this performance, which is, as you point out, you know, going back to the original question, you know, m- most Americans can ignore war. They can ignore the cost of it. Hmm.
0: Neil Conan, the uh, same question to you. What uh, You know, war is not an abstraction, but I think for many perhaps it is. What would you, what would you have the average person know about war? What what would you wish that they would know?
1: Well, uh, this has been what Annie and I have spent much of our lives doing, um, is going to see what happens and going to meet the people involved in telling their stories and describing what happened. Um, it's... You don't understand the, the emotions. Um, I, I remember... Uh, seeing uh, at the end of the uh, First Gulf War, what we now call the First Gulf War, I don't know if people remember this image, the Highway of Death, uh, which was a Iraqi convoy coming out of Kuwait City, the last Iraqi convoy coming out of Kuwait that was uh, trapped and uh, and bombed. And the pictures of that are compelling, but seeing and smelling and touching it, the emotions involved, that's what makes it different. That's what we try to communicate in our reporting um, and I want to emphasize uh, uh, Annie's point about uh, the music and, and the process of, of Ensemble of Galilee. What Carolyn was describing as we put this together, it's the goosebump test. You know what piece of music works with what piece of poetry when you have goosebumps. And remarkably, uh, for musicians, Ensemble Galilee understands that sometimes it's best not to play. And remarkably, for radio yackers, Annie and I know it's sometimes it's best to uh, keep zipped.
0: <laughs> it's the balance, the, the goosebump test. That's good. That's good. Um, Carolyn Surik, I wonder if uh, I could get you to read another uh, of your your poems in uh, Between War and Here," Page 44. Um, I really responded to this one, The Sniper.
2: Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I just, um, I love this guy. You know, uh, you meet you meet people at uh, Walter Reed and, and They are so incredibly deeply human. So this is the sniper, number one. What am I supposed to do now? He is 33 years old and was a special forces sniper for 14 years. The longest consecutive number of months that he was not in a combat zone in those 14 years was four months. He was good at his job, very good, until he was blown up. He was a right-eyed, left-handed shooter. Now he's blind and deaf on his right side, walks with a cane, and can't bend his ring finger and little finger on his left hand. They gave him a clerical job while he was recuperating. They told him where and when to show up. They never saw him. He was there all day, but they never saw him. They never saw him because that was what his job used to be. He used to be invisible.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Used to be invisible. And uh, in in my mind that, you know, I took that as a metaphor for so many veterans. Still are invisible, perhaps. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Um, I wonder, uh, maybe you could just turn a couple pages, read uh, number five in the same poem.
2: This is, I don't know if you remember, but uh, there was the shooting at Fort Hood while we were at Walter Reed. And so this is the day after the shooting. They stayed right in front of me while I played that day, the 6th of November, 2009. Their talk was crazy, off the hook, paranoid, self-righteous. I had never heard them like that before. When a buddy walked up on my sniper's blind side to bum a cigarette and tapped him on the shoulder, I thought, someone's going to die today. My sniper raised his hand to do damage to whatever stranger had touched him, and his buddy held both his hands in the air and said, hey, it's only me. I just wanted a cigarette. He said, looking his buddy in the eye, don't ever do that again. And then rubs his hands together to keep
0: me from seeing them shake. Yeah, that, that takes you right there. Um, you you came to came to know and love many of the the veterans here, didn't you, Zurich? Yeah. yeah. Yeah.
2: yeah.
0: Uh, Neil Conan, I wonder, uh, maybe have you talk a little bit about the cost of war, the ongoing cost, the human cost? Um, w- one of the questions raised here, in between here, uh, war and here, is when does war end? And, well, that's complex if you're a veteran, right, um, or a family member.
1: Indeed. Um, the conflicts uh, that we're currently in, that we've been in uh, since uh, shortly after 9-11, it, it's been called the Forever War. It's uh, taken from a, a, a novel uh, written by Joe Haldeman about Vietnam. It seemed appropriate then. Uh, but anyway, uh, for the individuals involved, no, it doesn't end. Um, and I think you hear that in the stories of, Veterans from the Second World War and from Korea, um, men often uh, don't tell their stories. Uh, There was an extraordinary moment. uh, A producer and I were uh, recording veterans from the Philippines, from Bataan, uh, who were telling their stories out loud, I think, for the first time. We were in a home in Virginia Beach uh, in, in Virginia, and a couple of the veterans were there. We were recording them and one of their wives came in with a, you know, a tray of coffee and, and, uh, and, and, and pastries, and they immediately stopped speaking, because they would not tell their stories in front of their families. We managed to talk them into telling them on the radio. So these stories uh, and the effects of war, uh, they stay with us, and you know they're, they're even finding some evidence that the uh, trauma uh, passes from one generation to another. So uh, this is indeed something that... Uh, forever war I think is appropriate
0: the trauma passes from one generation to the other that's scary yeah 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 was that what those soldiers were trying to do to protect their families from the
1: yeah from the stories I think they were and it's also this you know notion of uh, what it what it means to be a man obviously now we have uh, uh, a lot of women who have experienced uh, 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 combat as well uh, but that uh, you know you don't uh, you don't involve the women folk
0: mm-hmm and girls, um, the, you know, the soldiers you've interacted with, this and this idea of when does war end? Well, for especially for wounded warriors, whether it be psychologically or physically, that's a very complex question, and in, including the families as well.
3: Well, and what's what is sad now? Um, I mean, the war. You know, Americans are still in Iraq, Syria, and Afghanistan. And there is almost no coverage of it, um, in part because Washington is sucking up all the oxygen, uh, and the news cycles are just full of, um, you know, Washington uh, stuff. And the wars are invisible, and Congress, I feel, uh, you know, has, has not examined I mean, in the old days, I remember being, you know, uh, going up before the—I mean—covering the Armed Services Committee, the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, whatever, where there were deep looks at our engagements. Um, not always in a timely way, but at least, um, you know, there were uh, there were experts on the Hill um, who would who would examine uh, the conflicts. And that's not, that doesn't happen now. When's the last time you saw a congressional hearing on Iraq or Afghanistan and, and the overall strategy and the wisdom of it and the conduct of it? And not to mention the fact that it's simply not covered day to day. So, you know, while there are all sorts of things, I mean, for instance, at my airport in Hartford, Connecticut, you know, we welcome the troops. But the troops are forgotten.
0: Yeah, in a very real sense. Uh, so what 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 happens, and girls? Then um, war is just going to go on forever if there's if there's no oversight of it or very little, and, uh, and no national uh, reevaluation.
3: I don't know, um, but I hope. I mean, as I said, I mean the one the thing about this performance is that it's it's not political. Um. People will, come, but it will remind people that this is going on and that there is a cost, and they can come away with they'll come people will come away with very different feelings, different views, uh, but they will not be able to ignore the issue, hmm. uh, and so in a in an extraordinary way, um, I hope it reminds people of what indeed is going on behind unfortunately behind the scenes
0: Um, Let's take another break Uh, before we go go to the the break um, I want to return to Carolyn Surrick. what do you hope that people uh, take from Between War and Here as they come out of that theater production
2: That's kind of easy (laughs) for me, I mean I think that uh, I think that as an artist, as a musician and as someone who's interested in in performances that um, make you laugh and make you cry and make you think and make you feel stuff, I hope that people do that. I hope that when they walk out the door, they, their minds are... They, they, they've spent some time with music and they've spent some time with these people in, whose lives are so beautifully explained by Neil and by Annie. And, and I think that I, what I hope is that when people walk out the door... They really feel the humanity and the courage and the resilience in these men and women and their families, and that they sort of are able to experience a world that might not be familiar to them, but that is so deeply human.
0: And just uh, one final question before the break. Neil Conan, you mentioned goosebumps before. What, uh, what, What caused the goosebumps for you as you participate in this?
1: Oh, it's uh, the musicians. It's such an honor to be on the stage with these amazing musicians, not just Carolyn, but uh, uh, Jackie and, and all, all the rest of them. And just a point on, on what you've been talking about. Um, I'm actually hopeful there's a new generation of uh, veterans who are running for office this year. Uh, we uh, Just a few years ago, there was nobody in Congress who had served in the military. That's beginning to change, and I hope that this uh, new infusion of veterans into politics uh, will begin to uh, make these issues more prominent.
0: Hmm. Well, let's take that break. When we come back, a uh, final segment with uh, Ann Garrels, Neil Conan, and Carolyn Surik, and we'll hear some more from Between War and Here, hear some more music as well. You're welcome to uh, join this conversation by email to upraxcess at gmail.com, Upraccess at gmail.com. We have about 10 minutes left in the conversation, upraxcess at gmail.com. I have uh, received an email um, from uh, a person who had a, a very nice interaction, uh, they say, with Ann Garrels. I'll read that uh, as well following this break.
3: Arts Reporting on Utah Public Radio is supported by the Office of the Executive Vice President and Provost, celebrating USU's Year of the Arts.
2: Paranormal psychic spy hunters? Not a plot twist from Stranger Things. It was a U.S. Army project.
3: It appeared to me
0: first as a shark, and over the course of just a couple of remote viewings, I was able to determine that they were building an extremely large submarine.
2: How the U.S. Army used psychics to
3: spy on Russia. Believe. <laughs> Next time, on to the best of our knowledge from PRX. Sunday morning at 9 here on Utah Public Radio. <laughs>
1: Hi, I'm Steve Williams, host of Jazz Time here on Utah Public Radio. I hope you'll join me Sunday evenings for a journey through the world of jazz music, from ragtime to bop, from Havana to Logan, Utah. Tune in for a bit of history, commentary, the occasional interview, and of course, all that jazz. Jazz Time, Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock on Utah Public Radio.
0: Thanks for listening to Access Utah. We're talking with uh, NPR correspondents uh, Ann girls and Neil Conan and uh, with Carolyn Surick from Ensemble Galilee. Neil Conan, Ann girls and Ensemble Galilee uh, will be in Salt Lake City on November 4th to present a uh, theater production Between War and Here. Uh, it's a collaboration between journalists and musicians with music, poetry, and memoir. And uh, tickets to that are available at artix.org, artix.org. That's November 4th, Janae Wagner Theater in Salt Lake City, between war and hair, and that's what we're talking about uh, today. Uh, let me start this segment uh, with girls and girls so we received this from one of our listeners. They didn't authorize us to uh, put their name to it, so I'll leave their name off. But uh, um, they said um, some years ago, My uh, local uh, NPR station arranged for me to take a tour of NPR on one of my Washington, D.C. trips. I ended up spending the afternoon, including sitting behind the director during the evening newscast with Siegel and Block and Ann Taylor and Corey Flintoff. As I was leaving, Ann Gerrels was sitting in the lobby in a beautiful party dress, waiting to go to a speaking engagement about her work in Iraq during the war. We sat together for about a half an hour while she gave me details of life in the Iraqi war zone. She told me a great story regarding her coping with dehydration that I can only tell you in person. She was gracious, articulate, and enchanting. She's definitely someone to believe uh, because she has been there and done that. That's uh, one of our listeners. So, nice interaction there that was memorable for our listener. And girls? Oh, I remember I remember that conversation. And I certainly
3: remember the dehydration story <laughs> when I came back um, Uh, and forgive the description, but peed black Uh, Wow! because I was so dehydrated. And uh, the next day, the platoon was laid out, and they, as the medic called it, bagged every soldier because it was so hot. And I wasn't even carrying anything like the packs and the ammo and the bandoliers and the weapons. But just with my minuscule equipment was <laughs> was I mean you just you know so I I think that I'm amazed that I actually described that to this to this person although I do remember that that moment um, and you asked me a question earlier about you know uh, are you in touch with people and it from the past and. Um, We're going on, I can't remember if it's before, after Salt Lake to Moscow, Idaho. And um, an officer who was in Baghdad and was in charge of the press, and a wonderful officer, I have to say. There were some who didn't like the press, but this guy did a great job, and he's now at the University of Idaho. And he got in touch with me and said he had been asked, you know, should they – should and he's dealing with – um, the military at the university. And he said, you know, should I support this? He was asked, should I support this project? And uh, he said, absolutely. <laughs> mm. So, I mean, you know, yet more, you know, we, we, we do stay in touch, if peripatetically.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I want to take just a brief, maybe one or two minute detour to journalism and the, the dangers of journalism. Uh, and Garrels, um, understand that you're, um, uh, I guess, a, a board member for the Society to Protect Journalists. Um, I'm trying to find the uh, the exact uh, name the here. Committee to Protect Journalists. Committee to Protect yeah. Journalists. Yeah, and um, you know we've had some high profile cases recently. Uh, journalists are detained. Uh, they're killed. They're they're disappeared um, all the time.
3: Yes, I mean, and I mean. And the committee to protect journalists, you know, uh, has spent most of its history dealing with um, journalists under threat around the world. Uh, but we're now dealing with uh, an, an, a new issue here, where the president applauds, you know, um, uh, someone who body, uh, an official who body slams a journalist. Uh, I, this is outrageous. Mm. Uh, and um, you know, all of a sudden, we're having to deal with issues of First Amendment and freedom of the press at home.
0: New Conan, I wonder what you would say briefly on this. Uh, I mean, you, you've had personal experience being, uh, understand, captured, and detained for a week uh, in Iraq, um, and you know there there are others who you know get killed and disappeared. And...
1: In- indeed, and obviously, the uh, the death of a Washington Post columnist in the Saudi. Uh, consulate in, uh, in Turkey uh, is in the news. But the, uh, the other case that's uh, really been uh, overlooked a little bit is the threat to journalists in Myanmar, uh, where the government, uh, in an effort to keep them from reporting the truth about the genocide that's going on there, has been throwing reporters in jail. And uh, uh, Turkey is no shining light in this example either. It's, it's one of the worst offenders uh, against journalists in the world.
0: Let me turn back to uh, Carolyn Surik. Um, I'd love to have you read the, the, the title poem, um, Between War and Here, 59, unless there's a, a, another one that you'd like, prefer to read.
2: Oh, I, I, uh, I'm so glad you're choosing.
0: Okay. <laughs> uh, be, between War and Here, oh. this is page 59.
2: <clears throat> yes, I've got it. And this is a, a really lovely couple. Um, between War and Here, he knew the date of his deployment his second deployment. The first was Iraq, then Afghanistan. He hadn't been in country a month when a Taliban bullet ripped through his leg. He's the kind of guy who can lift a jeep, huge shoulders, powerful legs, a quiet smile as he looked toward his wife. He came to be with him, leaving their baby with her folks. It's hard being gone this long, she said. I miss the little guy so much. They sat next to each other, listening, and when a tray fell in the dining room, it spooked him. No one else heard it. I saw him. She saw him. Worry crossed her face. He plays guitar, you know, she said to me. Baby, why don't you go get your guitar? He really could play. Focused, sweet improvisation, creating counter-melodies out of thin air. The next week, I asked him if he had been practicing. Yes, ma'am, he said. He learned your whole CD, she said. Track eight, he said. I love track eight. I like the sad music the best. After we had played for a while, she said, Play them your song. And he did. With all the heart in the universe, he sang. His enormous arms cradled the guitar, head bowed, eyes closed. A rough, raw voice. A voice that has been there and back rang out. His words... A lesson in the distance between war and here. The questions old friends ask who don't understand what guns do, who can't understand what death looks like. They do not know, cannot know what war sounds like, smells like, feels like,
0: is. Beautiful distance between war and here, and I, I suppose you're trying to narrow that distance for those who who, who attend between war and here. Uh,
2: yes, and, and to sort of talk about the distance that the warriors live every day. I mean, they come home, but their hearts, I mean, for a lot of people, especially people who are wounded, they um, they wish they were back there with their buddies. They they feel a sense of responsibility. They feel like that was a the place they belonged. They feel like they were doing incredibly important things when they are serving our country, and and like that scene in Hurt Locker, you know, where the guy who's the explosive ordnance demolition guy is at the grocery store and he's looking at the pizzas in the frozen food shelf. I mean, it's such an experience. I think, um, and uh, and one that both Anne, Annie and Neil know incredibly well, which is you're out there in this place where um, you are serving, representing our country, and then you come back into our, the United States, and it's just not the same. It's, uh, it, I don't think that people can really express very easily to, peop- to civilians how um, this experience is is profound, and I mean profound in brilliant, courageous, beautiful ways, in horrible ways, in tragic ways. I mean, it's it's really something that we as civilians do not often get to understand.
0: Well, we've uh, reached the end of our hour here. We uh, <clears throat> thank very much Carolyn Surek, who has joined us from Ensemble Gallery. Thank you.
2: Thank you for having us.
0: And, Gerald, it's been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. And, Neil Conan, thank you so much.
1: Appreciate it, Tom.
0: Um, let's uh, go out with just a, a portion of El Capitan. You, uh, ten seconds worth. you want to tell us about this, Carol Zurich?
2: <laughs> I wrote this piece for my dear one. It was a, uh, currently a Navy SEAL, and he was getting married. And, uh, and I wanted to write something happy and joyous and um, incredibly, you know, walk down the aisle. And instead, I got a piece of music that's really more about how complicated life can be when you love
0: a Navy SEAL. All right, El Capitan, that's from uh, the Flowers of the Forest latest from Ensemble Galilee. Uh, another mention here, of uh, Between War and Here is a theater production featuring Neil Conan and Geralds and, and Ensemble Galilee, and that is coming to Salt Lake City November 4th um, at the Janae Wagner Theater. You can get tickets at Artix. Here's a little bit of El Capitan.
3: Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and the Moab Folk Festival, November 2nd through the 4th, featuring live music, beer and wine garden. Details at moabfolkfestival.com. Utah Public Radio is a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Mo- uh, Moab, KCEU Price, KUSUFM Logan, and UPR.com.